Hello, it's Sylvia Byron here for the Good Neighbours Committee. Today is our last podcast in the Conversations with Community series. It has been such an honour meeting with our community members and learning from them. I have certainly been humbled by the strength and the grace of the folks that I have interviewed. To conclude today, I will be speaking with Oliver Fitzpatrick, and we're going to be talking about practical ways to show our compassion for ourselves and for others, even when we're confronting them with hurtful and bigoted ways of thinking. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Community Conversations, the Good Neighbors Committee podcast. And this is a podcast mini. Uh, My name is Sylvia Byron, and I go by the pronouns of she, her, and I am with Oliver Fitzpatrick, who's going to walk us through today a little bit of more information around leaning into compassion and maybe giving us some skills around what to do when we need to confront somebody who is being homophobic or transphobic. Oliver, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Oliver. I use he, him pronouns. I grew up in Vanderhoof. I grew up across the street from my great-grandma. There's a couple generations of us, the Fitzpatricks. We're a pretty big family. I really enjoyed my childhood in the community. I've since moved away, but I try and visit when I can. So in our larger podcast with um, the other folks, we you talked a little bit about understanding and com- versus compassion. And the importance that maybe understanding needs to take a back seat and that compassion needs to be where we come from. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I think like it's so important because these issues can become so heated and that's the kind of climate that we're coming into it with. So what I'm hoping we can do here is like not give people lines to mic drop on people or tell you how to explain how difference is natural or educate people. It's really just about bringing it back to building compassion, being good neighbors. I think that the podcast suits this really well. We're not trying to educate people because it's not coming from a place of literal ignorance. Trans rights, LGBTQ plus rights, these things aren't that new. And it's not like homophobic and transphobic comments come from a place of not knowing or misunderstanding facts. People are usually making these arguments because they're arguing from their feelings and ultimately from kind of a fearful place. That's why we talk about phobias with this. So how would you like us to step into that being compassionate? I think first of all, it's just remembering that this is a conversation and not an argument. Or when you're confronting someone, that should be your goal. And part of that is because by arguing, you can end up validating some of their feelings that they're being subversive. And it's easier said than done. It's really easy to get worked up and to try and match the energy that people are putting out there. And you end up trying to one up one another and it becomes really unproductive. So just coming back to a place of trying to have a conversation boils down ultimately to not being antagonistic. I think a great way to kind of ground that is to think about asking questions. So a really good one is to kind of reframe it and say, why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. Because it usually is that someone's expressing a feeling, but they're kind of putting this surface level on top of it, which is about something specifically wrong or bad with being a member of the LGBTQ plus community. 
And so by kind of asking questions, you can start to maybe disentangle Mm -hmm. those issues from these sort of big fears, emotions, and feelings that they have that are sitting underneath it and then are getting kind of projected out onto LGBTQ people. And so I just had an aha moment here because I came from an assumption that we're trying to create compassion with the people across from us. But what I really hear is that how we're going to do this is by increasing our own compassion and creating that compassion with the people sitting across with us and having coming from curiosity to be wondering why they're feeling that way and uncovering those emotions to maybe get at something deeper. Is that sort of what you're going at? Absolutely. Yeah. I think definitely the goal is to have them build back some compassion that they seem to have lost sight of for these members of their community, ultimately. Um, But we are definitely burdened with having to extend that compassion first and to meet anger with a lot of grace. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say like it's much easier said than done. But the only way you can do this is to ground yourself and to really think through you know, what is happening here? So that's why we're going to talk about scripts a bit later, too. So you start with a taking care of yourself, grounding yourself. And somebody, I would imagine that it's also something that you face a lot of. And so it's not unfamiliar work. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, I have been really lucky. I started transitioning older at university. I was away from my friends and my family and, and back home and people that maybe are less well-versed or at the time were less well-versed in some of these issues. because They've really come into a spotlight publicly now. And I was sort of shielded from a lot of these comments by my parents. They took on a huge brunt of the work and they faced off with, you know, family members that were less accepting. And they are the ones that I've had to catch up with later and to hear how they dealt with it. And I'm trying to really weave a lot of that in here because I recognize like the way that I confront these types of comments is inherently going to be pretty balled up with my feelings, my knee-jerk kind of reaction to it. I've worked really hard to get rid of that. But at least I have very firm grounding and I understand myself and I understand, you know, my rights and, and why my experience is valid. For someone who doesn't have that background, doesn't experience this personally, but loves somebody who is a member of the community and they have to confront this, it's an even harder task in so many ways. You don't have that that grounding of, I know what the truth is. You kind of are told by the person you love what their experience is. You're working to understand it. And then you're getting confronted with people that are telling you, you know, this is horrible and this is wrong. And you're having to ask questions to them that you almost don't know the the answer to either. How did you establish that compassion within yourself? And how do you expand that for other folks? I started just trying to really think about where it was coming from. Like I said, I was shielded from the face-to-face of this, but I knew it was happening, right? And I had the benefit of having a lot of time to kind of think through how I was going to have these conversations. 
And what I started with was trying to think about how can I acknowledge what they're saying? Because you have to acknowledge what the other person is saying and listen to them. How do you acknowledge something that is really hateful on the surface, right? And, and there's a lot of writing on this. This isn't something that I cooked up in my head, but you have to get to this place where you're understanding that these statements that people are making that are homophobic or transphobic, it's not about the content of what they're saying. There's a lot kind of going on in the background. And a lot of the time, there are feelings of fear and uncertainty that are more general, I think, especially in this current moment. There's such an uptick in homophobia and transphobia. And I do think it's risen out of larger issues as a kind of simplistic us versus them, smokescreen, a bit like a bit of a scapegoat, because it's much easier to tackle and us versus them than to start having conversations about, I'm scared because it feels like my community is losing its connectedness. Mm -hmm. I feel really kind of unmoored because as a young man in our society nowadays, it feels like I don't have a place or a role to fill. I feel like I'm working harder and I'm getting less back. I feel like I'm being left behind. I think that's a feeling that so many people have right now. I think it's a feeling all of us can relate to that. And I think that's what I ended up coming back to because I was seeing this push of media and really loud voices telling people it's the LGBTQ community, like that's what's wrong with the kids or that's what's going wrong with society. That's where we lost our way, you know? And seeing that discourse pop up as so many social issues came to kind of a breaking point, especially through the pandemic, I don't think that you can look at those two and think that they're not related. And I think that's where I was able to go, you know what, there are so many narratives being put out there that this is something that you can latch onto and you can say, this is a fight that I could fight, you know, this is a tackleable thing. And that might be where people are coming from, or at least it's informing a little bit about how they feel about it. And I was able to, I get that, you know, and there are people who make a living making that argument. And there's a lot of money that goes into making that argument, understanding it. So what kind of script and where would you say we start when we're started confronting with some of these fearful, hateful comments that come out? Where do you say we start when you're hit with that? I was trying to come up with, you know, it's so hard to generalize because there's such a wide array of things that could be said in situations that you could be in, and it's going to demand a different response. But I kept coming back to the idea of just kind of interrupting somebody and, and going, you know, whoa, why are we talking about people in that way? Or, whoa, you seem really agitated, you know? And I, I just kept saying, whoa. And I think that why I kept coming to it was just, I think the most important thing is to express your surprise. You're surprised that they're so angry about it, that it's sort of an outsized reaction to what 
the actual issue is that they're talking about. Like, you can't just immediately dismiss them. And so that's where it is. It's the next thing that you say is you're expressing surprise. And then you kind of give a little bit because that's the thing. It's give and take. Like, you have to explain a bit of why you're surprised instead of immediately trying to shut them down or, you know, say like, oh, you you just don't know what you're talking about immediately. Obviously, there's a time and a place if somebody's being threatened, that's different because if anybody's threatened for any reason, you shut it down. But if you're being, can somebody is at your workplace says a simple comment like, and it's something from my reality, so I'm going to share it, is that I'm so tired of trying to use the right pronouns. And I can't stop that conversation. I can't. And that's where I would say, whoa, tell me a little more about that. That sounds like a pretty offensive statement right there. But maybe the offensive piece is too much. I don't know. What do you think? That's one, that's one where I would try and focus on acknowledging, honestly. It's one that I, I come across quite often. You know, people will say, you know, oh, I'm just so tired of all of like this third gender stuff or non-binary and two-spirit and all of these things. And my default response to that now is really to just go, yeah. And I've seen people be really surprised that mm-hmm. I say the word, yeah. But then I obviously follow with, you know, I really didn't get what non-binary meant till I met a friend and they explained it to me and I got to see how they move through the world. And in seeing how they move through the world, it did click for me. You know, have you met anybody that is living this? You know, where are you feeling like it's kind of infringing for you? Like, when is a good time to be able to say, oh, okay, this is too much. Do you have any tips on maybe how to graciously graciously back out because we certainly don't want to put anybody in a place of being unsafe absolutely yeah so when you're doing this and i would say it has to come before you're doing this so if you're listening to this podcast now is a really good time to think about what kind of boundaries do you need where are you going to find yourself uncomfortable in a way where you feel trapped or unsafe And how are you going to get out of those situations? Or how are you going to try and make it so that you're not always interjecting and putting yourself into a situation where you feel unsafe? So I've found that setting boundaries with people can look like, no, I, I can't talk to you about this because it's hateful what you say about it it doesn't change and i just can't engage with such negative views of the world and of people and i find like bringing it back to that too where it's like it's not just no you're wrong and you don't know the right things or feel the right way about this it can look like maybe as a family If you have a couple of family members who have felt really uncomfortable with what someone else is saying, or if you have a coworker that consistently is doing this and everyone feels kind of uncomfortable about it, setting up this boundary 
as a united front. It's a term that gets used a lot in like parenting psychology, but putting it out there where it's a couple of you coming gently saying, look, if you make a habit of disparaging LGBTQ plus people, you're talking about it all the time. No one else is bringing it up, but you come to the family barbecue with this. We might not invite you to the next one. And it's valid to do that. What are ways that you suggest that folks do take care of themselves or do take some time after they've had to do this work? Because this is heavy emotional work. And it's often heavy emotional work for people of color, indigenous people, PG people in the LGBTQA, which is why Good Neighbors Committee really wants to be a good ally and a good person to say, hey, we want to educate people. I'm a real believer in making space for you to vocalize how you feel about stuff. It's probably from my work, but I, I really think support groups are a great thing. And the great thing about a support group is it can happen online, too. And you can get in, in touch with people who have the same lived experience as you, peer support. I think that that's the most powerful thing we can do, right? It's just two people with the same experience talking through it. Because I also feel like you can shrug off these sort of things because it's just one comment that got made one day, whatever. But if that happens all the time in a place where you're supposed to feel safe, it really builds up. And if you're not able to just express, you know, I felt really weird all day long after that happened. Even in Vanderhoof, we have a uh, trans support group. And we can certainly connect people with those folks if they're in the area and they want to connect. But reconnecting in this disconnected world is, I hear, is a way to be able to keep ourselves safe and connect people with safe and supportive and that understand what you're going through. Is there anything else that you would like to say or is there anything that we missed? Uh, I have a, a resource that I think we can maybe put in the show notes. It, it's actually an anti-racism training, which okay. is kind of interesting. But it's because, you know, we can call this out like we would call out any hateful thing that somebody says or, or if somebody's suggesting a violent thing. And like I said, it's you're intervening for a reason is because... There's a lack of compassion happening. Um, so there are 11 tips that this training has, 11 different ways for you to kind of interject into those conversations. What are the 11 tips that you're talking about? Yeah, so the first one is to interrupt and to just assertively interject. You know, stop it or wait a moment. You know, we can kind of, it sounds a bit like when we're saying, whoa, what's going on, right? The second thing you can do is to express upset feelings. So you can talk about how you feel. And you'll notice these, a lot of these 11 start with I. You're going to talk about how you feel. I can't believe you are saying this. I'm surprised to hear you say such a thing. The third is to call it discrimination or homophobia directly to say that's homophobic or that's a discriminatory comment. What that does is it just directly says that this isn't welcome in the space that you're in. The fourth one is to just disagree. I disagree with what you just said. I don't think that's true. 
I like those two, again, because they start with I and because they're quick. It doesn't really invite argument, but this would be really meaningful to hear as a queer person in a room. And there's a third party that's disagreeing and just saying, I don't know about that. I think that's a really good thing for allies to get to do. The fifth is to just question the validity of a statement. A lot of the time people talk about always and everyone and every time. So you can kind of question that again. And that doesn't invite a big convoluted debate. The next is to point out how it offends and hurts people. So you can say that's a hurtful comment. The seventh is to kind of put somebody on the spot. This is one that I would be careful with, but you can say what? Can you just repeat what you just said? Because tone there is going to be really important and you have to gauge how the person's going to respond to this. I would use this when you think that maybe they'll check themselves and realize that it was inappropriate to say that. The eighth is to help the offender to self-reflect. So you can say, did you really mean that? That's a really hurtful comment or you sound really annoyed. What's going on? I really like that last one is commenting on how they're delivering it. The ninth is to approach and support the victim. So you don't always have to address it to the person making the comment, right? You can also go up to somebody after and say, I heard what was just said. Like, are you okay? I felt kind of weird about it. I think that's really cool as well. The 10th is approaching other witnesses. So kind of the same thing. Did you hear what I heard? And again, that's reinforcing that maybe this isn't the culture that we're trying to instill in this space. And then the 11th is to ask others for involvement and assistance. So this is when you feel that official action should be taken. Maybe this is something that you're not comfortable tackling in person one-on-one. Because chances are, if you're uncomfortable dealing with it right then and there, other people are also not going to feel equipped to do so. If it's a power dynamic of any kind with authority or with, you know, just physical strength or intimidation that way. You can bring an issue to the attention of your instructor or diversity, equity, kind of human rights office, you know, your HR if you're at a workplace. But I really like these tips because it's so hard to remember or think up on the spot what you should say. So it's nice to have some go-to sort of phrases. And I like that they're responding again to kind of how people are saying it. And what the subtext of what they're saying is. And that's how you can kind of address the lack of compassion or a lack of feeling that they're having. Those are awesome. And we're going to share um, the connection to those on our tagline on our website. So folks can go in and actually download and really see this so they could have them handy. Um, and for folks that are listening, just remember that Good Neighbors Committee is one of those folks you can afford this to. We are always trying to be able to collect. We don't need names. We just want to make sure that these situations are being collected so that we know how often it's going on. And we know that it's monitored and it does get sent to the provincial government as part of their statistics as well. We don't necessarily need to put in names or if people feel like it is bigger than that, we will certainly help get them to the right place. And that's Good Neighbors Committee, and we can be reached on Facebook or through our website, which is at the bottom of this podcast. Um, I really appreciate your time. 
I, I think that your information that you were able to share with us was excellent. And I really appreciate your time and effort and your willingness to be able to help us shift the culture. My pleasure. Like I said, I am happy to get to be a part of this conversation and hopefully make it so that we can have more conversations and maybe come together and figure out, yeah, just how to, how to be good to each other. How to be good neighbors is exactly what we're trying to do. The Good Neighbors Committee came into being more than 20 years ago in response to a desire to address racism and encourage the celebration of diversity in the community of Vanderhoof. Funding to support the work of the volunteers on the Good Neighbors Committee has come from federal programs such as Canadian Heritage, provincial programs such as Welcome BC, Organizing Against Racism and Hate, and Resilience BC, and regional grants from Northern Health and the Regional District of Balkanichaco. The Good Neighbors Committee is made up of a dedicated group of volunteers, each bringing their own experiences, backgrounds, and talents to the group. We have done community education projects using theater, visual arts, dance, cooking, newspaper articles, community surveys, playwriting, cookbooks, and more. We invite you to join us on our current project, Podcasts with a Purpose. We will share a 30-minute podcast interview with a local person sharing their experiences of what it's like to live in Vanderhoof. We will follow that interview podcast with a shorter action podcast to offer listeners tools and tips for addressing racism and celebrating diversity. We hope you will join us.